All right, so both sides of the conference finals, we see you know teams up 2-0, Denver's up 2-0 on the Lakers, Miami's up 2-0 on the Boston, on Boston. Are you surprised at how it, either one of these teams have played up to this point? I guess to get it started real quick. Um, I want to say no. Uh, maybe more so Miami side. I probably could say I could have saw Boston up 2-0 or it split 1-1. Maybe more so that side. But again, for Miami playing a familiar foe, a team that they beat before. Uh, so I'll say no. No, yeah, as far I could, as being surprised. I can respect that. I would say this though, um, for those watching, you know, the Denver series, Mike Malone gets a lot of credit for being a great, you know, his intensity, his defense, his game plan, you know, clock management, all of that. But I don't think Mike Malone gets enough credit for being a great offensive coach with how he gets all his players involved, how he's open to having multiple people be play initiators, Aaron Gordon. KCP, Bruce, uh, Bruce Brown, Jokic, of course, Jamal Murray. He's figured out a way to get Michael Porter involved offensively while not, you know, taking away from anybody else. Up to this point, of course, Denver probably has been the quiet team that nobody really talked about, regardless of the regular, best record in the West, third best record in the whole league. Do you think Mike Malone gets credit enough, talk, get enough praise for, you know, just how he – has his team set up offensively? It definitely, you could say, it gets overlooked. But he's definitely, like, you know, the, the positions he's putting his player in, players in, as you said, it's a lot of players that have to eat on the team. And obviously, we know the main two are eating, Jokic and um, Jamal Murray. But it's like how Aaron Gordon, who once was maybe considered a top two, go-to player on his team, as far as shooting the ball, how he puts him in position to facilitate and kind of score off of not getting actions run for for him. And then somebody like Michael Porter, who's always been looked at as a gifted scorer, you know what I mean, how he puts him in positions to challenge him to be efficient and still running actions for him. Um, And then even just how he moves around Jokic and Jamal Murray. uh, Mike Malone definitely does a great job offensively and it probably does get overlooked a little bit because, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to keep all of those players satisfied. Um, but he has everybody – everybody's buying in, and he continuously put everybody in different positions to better do what they do. And then even empowering, like, KCP and Bruce Brown offensively too because they're – you know, KCP's a shooter. You know, he's empowered to shoot when he's open. Bruce Brown – handling the ball this year, attacking the basket. So, yeah, Mike Malone definitely – I would say I think he's probably, he's probably overlooked as a coach, period, really. But definitely people are probably just going to – you think of him, you probably just think defense when uh, his offense definitely runs like a well-oiled machine. No, yeah, I can, I can definitely dig that. And with that being said, I'm John W. Fresh it. And this is the Hoopers pod. And just going to start with Denver. Of course, we saw they were down most of the game, two against the Lakers. Uh, made that furious comeback in the fourth quarter led by Jamal Murray, who up up into the fourth quarter, he wasn't necessarily having his best game, but the Lakers weren't able to really necessarily pull away from Denver. What was it that really changed? I was, like, of course, Denver, everybody, all the shooters for Denver got hot, got to throw that out there. Michael Porter hit some big shots. Bruce Brown hit a big three. Say Jamal Murray. 
Aaron Gordon got some layups, but what was it that really changed for Denver in that fourth quarter that helped them get the lead and sell this victory in game two? And I think, honestly, it just was Jamal Murray coming to life because, I mean, just looking at the game, you know, the Lakers were able to – it was kind of back and forth at first. Like, it was tied after the first quarter. Then the Lakers have a good second quarter uh, pull away. But, like, if you just look at, like, the quarter from quarter basically like, Denver won every quarter except for the second quarter. Um, so they were always there. But they weren't getting the consistent shooting out of Jamal Murray throughout the game. And, you know, he says that he those are the moments he likes. Um, and, you know, they needed him to get to get active. They needed him to make some buckets. They needed him to make some tough buckets. And, you know, he did that for his team. Played the whole second half, uh, I believe. And he made some tough shots. But just being in rhythm, you know, it made the team so dangerous. And then I feel like once he got going, then you saw Michael Porter knock down a shot. Uh, then somebody else hit a shot within that in that run. But he he kind of just helped give them the separator because they were there the whole time. He said it after the game. They asked him about the comeback, and he was like, he said it wasn't a comeback. He he said we were there the whole time. He's kind of right. They they were there the whole time, even had a lead early. But you know his shot just wasn't falling the first three quarters, and then he just couldn't miss. He was in tough shots. He hit a few over Anthony Davis. But uh, I feel like he just, you know, they put him in some space, played him in pick and roll a little bit in that, in that, and he just got to his spot and lifted up and, and you know, he made the shots that he makes, tough shot maker. No, and the Lakers threw a lot of, been throwing a lot of different defensive looks at the, um, at the Nuggets, having Ryu on Jokic, so Anthony Davis can kind of shade off and roam. Of course, going to Vandal, Jamal Murray, letting LeBron be able to roam, even had, We've seen Denver clearly have adjusted to a lot of things they've been doing. How is it? Because Denver's not going to really change the offense up much. Like I say, they're just going to they're going to try to get stops on defense, push the ball out. Of course, there's been a lot of talk about the altitude in Denver because every time a team like Denver, every time Denver makes a run, a long playoff run, everybody brings it up, especially when you got a fast team like this. Do you think some of that goes into that as well, especially you know, like as you don't play in Denver? Do you think, of course, everybody like you? We lived in Denver, been to Denver before. That air do get thin up there. Do you think the Lakers probably just ran out of gas as well at the end? Because nobody from the Lakers subbed out as well in that fourth quarter. I mean, exactly. So nobody did sub out. You could definitely see everybody on the court look gassed. Honestly, it's, it's you, you're like a hundred games in now. You know what I mean? But that you know the the altitude has always played into a factor with Denver, especially Denver always has these high octane teams because they're used to running into it. But you know the Lakers have been there a couple of days, they've practiced a couple of days, they're in the same conference, so they play in Denver, so they're I would say they're familiar with it. Honestly, um, I'm not saying that it didn't play a factor. I just feel like everybody was tired, and then especially like. You saw a lot of people saying LeBron looked old. At least I saw a lot of that on Twitter. It was LeBron. This is the first time LeBron looked old. And I don't even just think it's necessarily that he looked old. It's just the fact that he's hurt out there too. So, like, nursing injuries, everybody's kind of banged up. But the altitude, I, I, I won't deny that it does seem like it plays a part. Because if we all are tired at the end of the game, we are the ones most used to being tired playing in this. So that's why you see them get that extra fourth quarter push while the Lakers kind of didn't have it. So, I mean, it, I, 
I would say it's kind of fair to say they have it. I saw somebody on Twitter say that it's an unfair advantage or something. It's like, what Denver's supposed to do? Not play at home? Like, you're going to make them move the team? Right. Like, the, 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 it's always been there. The Lakers play there twice a year because uh, they're in the same. Not, no, they're not they're in the same. Division, same they're, they're in the one with Utah. So, but so they was they would still play them three. They still play them a couple times a year. Yeah, like they're going to the East or whatever. And you know, it's well, a we'll get to the Lakers. There. It's a lot of veterans on this Lakers team that's played in Denver over the years. So, but yeah, they definitely look gassed in that football. Not just the Lakers though. Both sides. Right. Yeah, the ref looks tired. <laughs> All right. Before we get to the Lakers, Jamal Murray has the most fourth playoff fourth quarter 20-point games since uh, 1997. And when you think about that, you think about all the players that's played since 97, KG, Shaq, Tim Duncan, Kobe, LeBron, Wade, KD, Dirk, et cetera, et cetera. Jamal Murray has been a top-tier playoff performer, especially over the last three or four seasons when he's healthy. He hasn't made an all-star game yet, and he's kind of – right. I put him kind of in that how Jimmy is in the playoffs where – He's super focused, and he has, I guess you could say he's a better play. I don't want to say he's necessarily a better playoff performer than he is a regular, better regular season performer, but he's definitely numbers in play definitely jumps up in the playoff. I think that kind of puts Jamal Murray in a rare class where he's trying, because it's like, where do you put him? We're not going to do that today. But when you hear that stat about Jamal Murray, are you surprised any bit? I mean, it has kind of become his reputation. Um, especially like you say, how he was hooping in the bubble, um, and then just what he's doing now. It's so hard to make the All Star game in the West because there's been so many good guards for so long, and he's still so young in his career. And he just hasn't had this. Like your numbers have to be eye popping. De'Aaron Fox had to be a replacement this year. And they were in third place, and he averages 25 a game. Um, so. You know, and then, of course, the injury. So he's out for a year, getting overlooked with that. But I do think his all-star game is coming sooner than later. But it is just a fact that, you know, he's been in the playoffs three times, and his career average in the playoffs is 25 a game. You know, he's 25, 6, 40% from three, 47 from the field in the playoffs. Um that's 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 really good, honestly. Like right, that, yeah. that's a, that's that's that next level. Like he his career average during the regular season is what it's well, cause you know got the earlier year sixteen. So I just go based off the last couple of years. He was twenty this year, then twenty one the year before he got hurt. Basically, he's a twenty point per game scorer. And in the playoffs, you become a twenty five point per game scorer. Like that's clearly stepping it up and taking it to another level. But again, he said that those are the moments that he you know he liked the high pressure moments. You know, we if if you heard any of his after, uh, you know, after the game, his his interview, he you know says he related to playing in the backyard. You know, counting down in those last moments, which I feel like all hoopers can relate to, especially uh, if you're ever playing by yourself and things like that. But uh, he he said those are the moments he lived for, and you know he's showing it. He, he's stepping up, and to have him healthy, like. I think it makes Denver really dangerous uh, in their pursuit of their first championship. No, all right. And like I said, I can get that. Like I said, it's just, like I said, when you think about all the players who come through since 97. You double just... Jordan. Jordan is who's second. And, <laughs> you know, you got four to Jordan's two, 20 point, 20 point four quarters. 
I want Cal Jordan like say started in '97, so it was like Jordan wouldn't have that. Somehow he's that's who's second place though. You know, it's just crazy. Which is crazy. Which though, is right? say, you probably went back further. He probably has more, but since Jordan retired like was, the next year, he retired that year. What was his last year? '98. '98. Yeah. So. So that's like you say, just for Jordan to be second is still crazy. But for Jamal Murray, who is a player, like I said, we of course the bubble caught everybody attention. Right. Um, he had another good playoff performance after that as well. But he just never seems to be like I said, he's never the house. He's never going to be the household name, regardless of how good he is, because of how great the league is, right. which makes it hard for him to make the All Star team as well without having those eye popping numbers. Because even the coaches is going to overlook him a little bit because. Right. Like, yeah, you're on the team, but you're also on the team with the two-time MVP with a player who probably the one of the ten best offensive weapons ever in the NBA. I might be giving him a little more credit just off the top of my head. Right. So I think he's going to get – I don't think Jamal Murray is ever going to get the benefit of the doubt like a Chris Middleton or a Drew Holiday this year not throwing shots to them or just players of that caliber who will be a second all-star on a team when their yeah, team is having a really great year. Automatic second guy. Right. I think he's going to get there, though. I think he's going to up his game because Jamal really is a really good player. Um, and he was, he was ascending before he got hurt. And this was his first full year back, and you know he looks fully back. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him kind of break in there next year potentially. No, nah, right. But it's it's tough in the West, like you said. Though. It's tough because you got at the end uh-huh. of the day you got Steph, you gotta go through Luca, you gotta go through John Morant. Now Shea is first team All NBA, and De'Aaron Fox. And it's not to say Jamal Murray can't be in those players' class, but it's the All Star game, so. Automatically, those starting two spots is going to Luca and Steph. If one of them happens to not get it, it's going to Ja. Those are the three most popular guards in in the West right now. Even so, it's like you're not starting. You have to get a reserve spot. Is is for him to get a starting spot? And who's to say he couldn't do it? He Denver would have to have the best record, and he had to be averaging like thirty. So he's just all. Denver has a strong fan base, but it's gonna take more than. Colorado to get it when you're right. fighting with you're not getting Steph spot so you got to try to get Luca and Luca got a whole another cut got a whole another continent on him so it's tough no nah, yeah that don't go to the past years so, of you know being there with James Harden um, uh, it's Paul George or Kawhi they they probably front court players but Devin Booker. Um, just thinking of guards in the West or whatever, because it's just it's just guards. I just name point guards. Dang, you know, I mean, it's it's hard to beat out them guards. No, oh, yeah, for sure. And like I say, looking at the Lakers going down 0-2, heading back to LA. Like had a chance to, they were in position to maybe have a chance to win both those games, especially game two. You could say Anthony Davis and LeBron both had bad games in game two. I don't think that's unfair to say they could have played better. Uh, Definitely in moments. Like, I, 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 I think they had incomplete games. Like, I, I see good moments from both of them, but I feel like where they really needed them. So, yeah, you can call it a bad game. I respect it. No, we can say that. We can say they had incomplete games. Um, it's so weird to see them in this position, especially a LeBron team, because you never want to doubt them, and you still, regardless of the back of your mind, you know the Lakers aren't finna get swept. They're probably not going. They're probably not going to lose bad any of these games either, unless Denver just takes off one game offensively on them, and there's just nothing they can do. But looking at the Lakers' position and where they're at right now, 
What is it that you want to see them do in game three to pick up a victory? Um, and like just to back to your point with like Anthony Davis, like I thought Anthony Davis played and LeBron, I felt like they played strong defensively, but they both were like lacking offensively, and not even just the. You know, when LeBron, the ball slipped out his hand when he was going to dunk the ball. But just like a couple of layups he missed that he normally makes. Anthony Davis, like I, I, I'll i say it on here, like Stephen A was saying at halftime that he thought Anthony Davis was being anemic offensively. And I was like, I didn't feel like he was playing bad because, you know, they had a lead. But his lack of being involved offensively in the first half definitely showed in the second half. Um, I think in this next game, one, you got to hope LeBron, like, this rest helps him because LeBron's he's hurting right now. Like, say what y'all want, I'm not even the LeBron guy. LeBron's hurt, man. He got a – I'm pretty sure he got a torn ligament in his foot. I can't remember if it was that. It was, but then he rolled his ankle twice. He, he rolled his ankle twice. He just hurt out there right now. So, you got to hope that LeBron can be healthy because he's going to come and he's going to play. He's already said that he ain't sitting down. He ain't missing no games because he can feel the opportunity there and he can feel it slipping away. So, he's going to play. You got to really establish Anthony Davis to continue to take the pressure off LeBron. I know he had 40 in game one. And I may have asked for too much. You probably got to go for like 45 in game two. Like, he has to really carry the load, pause offensively for them. So, LeBron – because LeBron then LeBron can still pick his spots. I know LeBron's hurt. He can't be selling for them threes. Like, if you're going to be out there, you got to attack the basket. And I feel like he was trying to force them because they weren't going in. Hachimura is a playoff performer. Salute to him. Sure. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. Play him more. <laughs> um, even Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves has been good for them in spots. You need more consistency out of D'Angelo Russell. Right. D'Angelo Russell got a hoop. Vando, you just need. He's not out there to score, obviously, but you got to make them feel your presence. Catch some lobs, backdoor cuts, uh, his attack and pass. You know, just let them feel you on the court, Pauls. Um, honestly, I just think Denver's better than the Lakers. Like, the Lakers was up that game. They were up the whole game. But I promise you, the whole game I'm watching. But they weren't up the whole game. Like I said, it was tied out the first quarter. The Lakers pulled away in the second. Denver's back and forth, getting close. Can't take the lead. Jamal not shooting good, then Jamal go crazy. I promise you the whole game, I never thought Denver was losing that game. I never thought they was losing because Jamal Murray, KCP got two quick fouls. Jokic, he didn't have his best shooting game. He was 9 for 21, I believe. But he could feel that they was trying to force him out of passing and being aggressive, and he kept trying to stick to the script of – Playing his game, still got a triple double. Um, Michael Porter wasn't really making shots initially. Bruce Brown was really their most aggressive player at one point. Like he was getting them some buckets and you know keeping it afloat. And Aaron Gordon offered some nice passes from Jokic. He was getting some dunks, but I always felt like if they just needed a little, I didn't know Jamal Murray was gonna go crazy. Twenty first and foremost, right? But I always felt like if they just got a little bit more better rhythm and flow out of him, they were gonna. Uh, take command of the game and when he goes crazy that that's what happened I never thought that they were going to lose the game the Lakers were playing like Hachimura wasn't missing a shot uh, Anthony Davis was playing great on defense it's funny he got he he's on the wrong side of two goaltending calls um, he actually got three one was right the one when he blocked Bruce Brown but they called the offensive interference when he dunked it in that should have been a bucket 
And then the Jokic one, I agree with that one. It, it, I feel like the ball was coming down, but I kind of wouldn't have been mad if they didn't call a goal 10. Um, but I just feel like his presence was there defensively. They were smart with putting him off of Jokic because then him roaming kind of does help. Um, it, it, just, it, it just helps because that also sends that extra defender to be there for Jokic or whatever. But I just think Denver is better than them. The team has been together longer, including coach. Uh, like they just have a familiarity of themselves and they know what they need to do. And it's just every so often. And it's wide open for them this year too because they're playing the only team left that's won a championship recently. So even though Boston went to the finals last year, rookie rookie coach, you're playing a newcomer in the finals more than likely. I know Miami was in the finals a couple years ago too, but they lost. Um, I feel like this year is they're that team that's just focused and set out to win. Um, and the Lakers is just another team in their path. I, I really feel like Denver may – I say it on, on air. I really feel like Denver may sweep the Lakers, but I really got them in five. I put on Twitter Denver in six because LeBron I have a superhuman game one game. Anthony Davis you have a superhuman game one game. That's two games. I, like, I think LeBron got a 40 game in him. It might be his last one, <laughs> but I think he got one, especially they about to go home. But I just think Denver is that team that that's that Spurs team that won 62 games after they lost to Miami. Um, the Bucks that year with Giannis, they get like that. You not even the Bucks, it, it, they don't even come every so often. It's, it's every few years. I ain't even gonna count that Bucks team, but it's every few years you get. This team was in the conference finals a couple years ago. Players get hurt last year. You don't get the success. You got the guy that's won two MVPs. People questioning, is he really that good because he hasn't won? A great coach that hasn't won yet. You just get that team every couple of years. And then every everybody's talking about how deep the team is, Paul. But I just think their, their top players all do what they do so well. And they're consistent with it that it makes them feel like they're playing like nine players. And they're really playing seven, to your point, eight with Braun. And they just that laser focused team that I think is gonna run away with the championship this year. I think Denver's winning the championship. I'm I've I've gone to that side. Denver's gonna win the championship. No, I think that's I think that's fair because this team does seem to one it's time to go. Like there there's no off switch with this team. Like they could have took a game off against Phoenix, even though they, they did lose one against Minnesota, but they didn't take a game off against Minnesota. They just lost a game. They had like 40. Like, yeah, they, you know, ju- they just had – Minnesota just won a game. So this team is focused on – does seem to be focused on the end goal. Like you say, the Lakers, still a new team. Not a new team, but they did – this well, roster was completed did, at the did trade Did they trade them like eight players? Like, you know what I mean? This roster was completed at the trade deadline. So they still are trying to figure out what – Darvin Hammond is still trying to figure out – what buttons to press, what adjustments to make, what lineups run with this team and who works well together in certain situations. So this probably was a bad test run, even though they've made it this far. This was definitely a bad test run with this team. Hope they bring it back together. But like I said, Denver just does seem to be that team that's looking like this, super focused, and got to get to the championship and possibly even win it, especially when you look at a player like Jokic, who that's, you know, as you know, they go to work every day as they call them the quad type, just go to work, go home, clock in, clock out, get it done. And that's what they say. That's what this whole team seems to be focused on in general. It's not necessarily the extras that come with the NBA, the narratives, 
the outside noise. Of course, they hear it, but it's like that's not important coming from them. That's just how the NBA is. And I see just to go to that real quick. Hold on, before you go to that, you are you aware if Denver wins the championship, your your prophecy comes into complete fruition. You said years ago, I can't even put the year on it, maybe 17, 16, 15 maybe, when they first took the center off the thing, off the All-Star, you said when we get in the 20s, it was going to shift back to big men, which we've had a center win three straight MVPs, centers won back-to-back scoring titles. If Jokic didn't win, a center-led team would win the championship. You said a center was going to be run, they was going back more towards the scale bigs again, was what you said, and it'll be stamped with Denver winning the championship <laughs> in case you ain't noticed. <laughs> no, no. Probably hadn't even noticed, but you literally was the only one like, I know we're going to the guards right now, but I feel like the centers are going to take over again, and we like really on the doorstep of it. <laughs> Once they win the championship, that's taking over. That's taking over, right? That's that's yeah. nah, eighty. They talking about putting centers back on the All Star ballot, like they, they, they talking about bringing. They really talking about putting centers back on All NBA, like it's a conversation again. That's. I didn't even think about in the midst of all this. I didn't even think about that, but now, yeah, I do remember that. That's crazy. But yeah, so with this this NBA conference finals, of course, a lot of it was led by the uh, we got the all bubble rematch with the Nuggets and the Lakers on one side in Miami. We said that first too. I don't care how many outlets picked it up, that was said first by us. And you got Miami Boston on the other side, and of course. You never know who's gonna win the finals. I don't care. Of course, I know the funny thing came out about how this, there's a script out there. It started with the NFL, then moved over to say the NBA, and of course, so according to that script, everybody wants to see either the Lakers, Miami, or Lakers in Boston because there's that's. I don't want to call it the primary objective when it comes to watching the game, but there is that secondary objective when it comes to getting people to grasp on and hold on to the game. Of course, there's that narrative word, which I don't have a problem with because I love narrative content and I feel like that when you look at a season and when you're deciding what you decided on either who's the best player, who's the MVP, all-star, all-NBA, best team, and why they have a chance to win the championship, et cetera, et cetera, that's a narrative, and they all have narratives, and the season is a story. That's just how I look at it as a content maker, creator, whatever, whatever. It's a story to it, and there's a narrative. And maybe sometimes the narrative gets a little crazy because the narrative is driven by hot takes, or there are some people not us to think that narrative just leads to casual view on the casuals observing and talking about the game which some people don't like but it's like casuals are the reason why the game is so big you can't take that away from them yeah, the diehards ain't just the reason they making money for surely the die you want to survive if it was just the diehards it would just be another men's league <laughs> you want this be world's greatest men's league man NBA but then there's this faction of people who's terrified of there being a championship that could be the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. Not even necessarily Denver and Boston, so it's not just a Denver thing. But That's what I'd be scared of. That's a whole lot of mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> but people are fearing that there be a Denver and Miami championship because there won't be a narrative around the finals to grasp onto. There's been the Raiders talks, of course, about how that'd be the the worst thing for the Raiders, this, that, and the third. I don't necessarily care about that. Like, I'm gonna watch the game, whatever, whatever. I'm gonna watch the games, so it don't matter that don't matter to me. 
and we had this conversation on the episode before about how this championship with Denver could be the first thing to helping rewriting some not even not rewriting but adding on adding something to their franchise's narrative history which they don't have which I can see a cat making it hard for somebody who's not a diehard fan or what some people would label a casual fan why they wouldn't grasp onto it but it's funny coming from Miami side especially with the Miami Heat especially as of recent history they've been champion they've been a championship team they've had high caliber tier one tier two players in Wade Miami I mean <laughs> Wade LeBron Chris Bosh the Shaq Ray Allen at the end of his career they've had personalities down there Gary Payne Jason Williams Antoine Walker Lonzo Mourning Lonzo Mourning Tim Hardaway so I know Tim Hardy wasn't a championship wasn't a cha- wasn't a champion on those teams but he was an, he, he was an all star player down there and whatnot. Mashburn you know they was on some good teams they yeah, was they a solid were, team very good team and of course there's also Miami being the AFC with a chance to go to the finals the first time since 99 and it's like it's so funny that nobody thinks that well hey everybody you know there's a side that thinks narrative in basketball is bad anyway whatever but then there's this other side who thinks there's no narrative to grasp onto to make the finals interesting and i find myself kind of in the middle of it because a once again i love narrative shit like what are the narratives of this jokic being a two-time mvp finally having a chance to win his first championship not saying that validates it but that add something to his resume that helps his career narrative, his career arc. Jimmy Butler being the hard nose, let me get here and get it done type of guard, type of player who isn't afraid of the other team's best player, who this these are his moments that he lived for. There's narrative behind Spolcher winning the championship without LeBron and Wade and the Heatles. Agree or disagree, where are you at? Like, regardless of how you feel about it, but where are you at as far as just how narrative, you know, just narratives as far, just narratives in the game in general as far, even just in the finals? All right. I want to applaud us again because we've made casuals not be the derogatory term that people try to turn it into because casuals are a part of the game. Like, it's not just all of us purists who. Like, we'll watch the NBA, we'll watch WNBA, we'll watch overseas, we'll watch pickup, we watch, you know, everybody don't have to be that person. I feel like you can have a team that you cheer for and you watch and stuff like that. I don't have a problem with narratives. I have a problem with forced narratives because as you kind of paint it, it's always a narrative, period, to sell a story. It's the story of Spolstra when his, like, that's damn Spolstra historically to win a championship since people like if you're a legacy person that stamps Spolster historically to be in another finals without Wade and LeBron and to potentially win one Jimmy Butler potentially winning his his first championship really kind of man was an all-star but it's clearly Jimmy's team and there's no other top 10 level player on their team that stamps Jimmy historically Jokic back-to-back MVPs, people didn't want him to win. We had a conversation on our show. I'm not even gonna just put it on, on everybody else because I definitely said it would be weird or it would feel weird for him to have three straight MVPs and forget winning the championship but not even touching the finals. So to have that, that's a narrative to play like, were we all overreacting? I mean, we just had the conversation. We didn't overreact. But some people were really like, he can't win because he hasn't been to the finals 
like he couldn't potentially go this year. Like they were going too far with it. We just said how, yeah, if it happens in the end, it would feel kind of crazy. But either way, I think it's on the journalists, the new media, the podcasters, radio people to find the narrative to sell to the casual fans and the people who are watching during the finals. And not just a force. Like, I don't have to have a force LeBron versus Miami championship winning again against the team in the bubble and winning against his former team. I don't need to force the force Lakers versus Celtics and potentially winning the 18, which that is, you know, that does matter. But potentially who takes the lead in the championship race or whatever. It's, it's force. Um, we don't have to have a narrative force upon us. It's on us, the people that talk about the game, because we're in that circle now we're in that bubble we're part of that it's on us to talk about these other stories build up the narrative paint that picture make a new movie not white man can jump with <laughs> that guy from, from Jack Harlow I couldn't even think of his name we don't gotta make a white man can't can jump we can make a new movie and I think that's what it's on us to do uh, that's what it's on us to do so from that standpoint like you said we're content we're, we're content creators at the end, of, we're basketball people because we've played basketball our whole lives. But we're content. We've been before we started making basketball content. We made uh, doc, docu style content. We made video content. We made music content. We we wrote we wrote and write uh, short films, feature films. We we write. We make content. So. Of course, we like storylines and stories, but we don't have to force it. You know what I mean? When we sit here and we thought about the concept for a video we were shooting or a movie we were writing, even if we wanted to, it to feel like something, we weren't rewriting a story or forcing a narrative, which we also don't mind cliches either. So if it happens and it's organic, that's cool. But you don't have to force it. So I'm not against narrative content, and I'm not against the NBA wanting narrative content because it's a business too. At the end of the day, it is entertainment, and if that's why you tune in, I think that's why. Like, <laughs> I I worked at FedEx one time, and the guy asked us there. Um, he was like, "What type of people y'all think we hire here?" He's like, "You think we want somebody that want a long career? You think we want somebody that just want to work on weekends? You think we want somebody that just want to work at night?" You think we want somebody that just want to work here for three months until we go back to college? He said the answer is yes. We want all them people. Like, it's a room, it's a spot here for the diehard NBA fan. It's a spot here for the guy that like LeBron. It's a spot for the person that just like the Celtics. It's a spot for the guy that just like the playoffs. It's a spot for the guy that don't tune in to just the finals because he's finna go out to all of like the NBA wants everyone to have those eyes tuned in. So I'm cool with narratives. I'm cool with telling the story. I just don't want a forced story, which I don't think they can force us a story because the players have to play it out on the court. And I don't, for one second, believe, as a guy that plays basketball, that knows people that has touched the NBA, the, the rig stuff, I don't ever get into that because it's just not a fact at all um, that like they're rigging games and stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm not that conspiracy guy. We could talk about the bubble we live in on earth before I believe that the sport is rigged. So, but yeah, narrative content is cool to me. Uh, but there are other stories outside of LeBron versus Miami, Lakers versus Celtics, and Miami versus Denver isn't a weak storyline. 
Nah, no, nah, yeah, for sure. I don't think I can say it, explain it any other way than you just did. Like you said, you just have to watch. Like I said, you either interested or you're not, and I feel like that's what shit. It should just come down to like either you want to, either you're gonna watch it or you're not. Because you guess what, you still gonna watch the clip somewhere, YouTube, ESPN, wherever you watch a highlight set, wherever you watch a playback set. But there are room, there is room for everybody to watch the sport however they feel like they watch, you know, however they want to watch it. And that's just what it is. But, man, NBA, everybody welcome. You just uh, you brought up them bringing back some of the All Star Ballet. Game. I mean, if you got it only watching on the finals, just come to the party. Don't talk to us about the season. <laughs> no, all right, just, just come to the party and hang out for real. But like you said, you brought up that how they want to. Um, they're talking about bringing putting Sanders back on the All Star ballot. Of course, it's come out and everybody's seen it by now that they are considering going back to East versus West format versus the All in the All Star game. When you hear that and you've seen the changes they've made over the past, I would say the past five years, truthfully. Do you think that just reaching a? Do you think that just reaching a point to where it's like there's nothing else we could do outside of up the bonus? Make the winner of the All Star Game home court advantage. Like, what else could they? What else could they possibly do outside of those things right. to make the players want to play? Like, there's nothing else, right? And even literally, players are saying like, it's literally nothing else that they could do. Like, even the guys like they'll take the extra money. But I've literally heard guys like, I got money. Like, <laughs> like is the the players have said have players have admitted that it's on them. And players have admitted that they've come out and they feel the game and like, all right, this how we playing. All right, cool. You know, they've admitted that you gotta have them guys that say we gonna we gonna just come out and hoop. But I will say I fully support the idea to go back to East versus West. I guess I'm that old traditional baseball guy when it comes to little stuff like that. I, I didn't think it ever needed to be changed. I never cared for the this is the greatest pickup game, so let's pick the teams right but like all that shit was stupid to me. I'm sorry. I I, I never was for it. This isn't a pickup game, it's a men's league. You're not picking your team before the game. I don't want to see it. I like East versus West, and I've talked myself into the idea of I like the winner of the All-Star game getting home court advantage in the finals, even though I've seen how that plays out in baseball and the players are not going to like it. I think the coaches might hate it more than the players do, especially because most coaches are older. Like, maybe the young coaches could adjust, but, like, even the young coaches, like a Joe Mazzula, for instance, like he played basketball, so he he would have been around for. I don't think they would like it, basically. Uh, coaches in particular, um, but I like the idea of going back to East versus West. Uh, I hope that it happens this upcoming season. I even if I'll compromise because I don't like. I liked it the first year, but I don't like the Kobe score every year no more. I'll compromise. We could keep like the Kobe. Of- we could keep the Kobe score. If we go back to East versus West and away from picking teams, that's my compromise. Get a get off, get it, get an MVP of the game, three million dollars, and give everybody on the winning team two million dollars. So that way the MVP gets five million in all. Um, East versus West, add up the score at the end of quarters, last quarter, uh, the first of twenty-four. Uh, well, if the the team that has to lead has to get to twenty four or whatever to set score, and uh, let's go from there. Players got a hoop. Man. Hooper, hoopers got a hoop. No, nah, for sure. So, like you said, outside, outside of walk in the lane, 
You don't gotta you don't gotta tackle nobody or throw no bowls, but laying on the floor, Steph Curry, <laughs> just moving out the way, like yeah, y'all don't even jab at him. We don't want to see that. Maybe in the first quarter as you're warming up, but like by six minutes in, y'all need to be hooping. Like, come on, man. No, for sure, because like there's nothing they could do outside of just saying there isn't gonna be a game that will make the players play. So yeah, just go back to East versus West. Try to come up with more creative jerseys if I can add something in there, but there's nothing else you can do for the All Star game. I feel like everybody wants them going back to the. If they go back to the jersey, I want to do that. And you put a patch on it. That's what they talking about doing. No, not that's what they talking about doing. That's they going back to East versus West. We gonna keep All Star jerseys. They was picking teams. I would go individually. It's funny because I can. Re- we're we're getting called out. Right? We're old enough to remember. When like right before they did go back to wearing jerseys, and I can remember people saying, "Man, I wish they would make All Star jerseys again." Because remember, in the nineties, like they were wearing they wore all, some yeah. of those joint, they wore All Star jerseys, and then they went to wearing your own jersey, and people was like, "I wish they would go back to wearing All Star jerseys," and they did. And now we're at the point where people like, "Dang, it was so cool when they wore their own jerseys." Let's go back. <laughs> it's like we see it everything. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's just never, funny how it goes back and forth. Never end in sight. Because yeah, it's, it's, it's all new eyes, and there's people who never seen it. So to them, it looks cool. When we first was watching, that's what they were doing. So wearing the also jerseys to us look cool because that's not what we saw. Then they went to the jerseys, and it was, it was cool. And then these last couple of years, it hasn't made sense. These last couple of years, I would say it would have made more sense to wear your own jersey. Especially because it has been years where they had the team logo on the jersey. But now that these first ways, you can get creative with the jersey again. It Well, if it goes through. Back I'm these pretty first sure. Years, right. I feel like, why, why not? Why not, right. Now, going over to the other side of the Eastern Conference Finals, the Miami Heat are up 2 on the Boston Celtics, who I think Boston was the favorite to win this series, of course, because they were the number two seed. Shout out to most. He said a bunch of times, Something had I don't know I don't even know what it was, but it had Miami at a four percent chance of winning the series. Yes, <laughs> which is crazy. Which is crazy when you just even look at how Miami has been playing. That's literally only looking at the record and their box score and whatnot. I Miami's up two. It had to be something that just looked at their seeding. It had to be something that just looked at. I think the seeding. Was it ESPN? It was, a, it was some kind of AI thing. Yeah. Oh, it probably was a, an AI thing. Not Alan I Alan think Alan, I don't know for sure though. Computers. But you look at where Miami is at, they've had, they've been, this series is so funny because Boston, unlike the Lakers, I think Boston has had real chances to win both these games. They've had 10-point leads both games. They, not only with these 10-point leads, they look like they're in control at those moments. How is it that Miami is able to kind of, I I don't know how to put it, describe it, but how is it that Miami is able to kind of go through those times in the game where it looks like Boston has a chance to take over the game and they just come back and win it at the end outside of just saying Jimmy Butler. I mean, I just feel like overall Miami sticks to the course. They stick to what they're trying to do. Um, this team was together last year overall, so um, and with Spolstra, they have a routine. Like, I saw Kevin Love. Everyone's been there. Um, so they just stick to what they're doing. Miami has smart players. Spolstra's one of the, I would say Spolstra's the top three coach in the NBA, like Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, Eric Spolstra. Who, who's better than those three? Who am I, Who would I be missing? Um, and I feel like next up would be like Mike Malone. But he he's in the upper echelon, basically. Maybe I'm missing somebody right now. 
But those are the top, I feel like, top three, four coaches in the league. Just trying to think if I'm missing somebody. But I think, you know, they play, they continue to play how they want to play. Um, and then it's just amazing how, you know, their, their role players don't shrink in that moment also, which I feel like helps. Uh, big night from Caleb Martin, just in this last game in particular, big night from Caleb Martin. Um, whenever Duncan Robinson comes alive, it's, it's great for uh, Miami. They got some a big shot from uh, Gabe Vincent in the fourth. So it's like they just stick to the course. They're hard in those 10. They're not going to go away. And Jimmy definitely turns it up in the fourth quarter, which, you know, you need that player for your team who's that guy. The ball is in his hands. You need him to be that for you. And Jimmy usually is that uh, for them in the fourth quarter. Um, and they just overall not going away. So, you know, that's why Miami, they putting themselves in a good a good chance of winning the series up too well. All right. Just speaking to Eric Spolstra, I seen something on Twitter that said in the first and third quarters, he didn't run any zone defense. And then in the second and fourth, he said he ran like – 20 possessions of defensive play, 20 possessions of zone plays mm. on defense. And that's like one of those things where I, that's where Eric Sposter gets a lot of credit from the outside looking in because you see the op, you see the obvious adjustments that he makes. You see him go from the man to the zone, whether that's 2-3, three, 3-2, three, or whatever, however he's going to run his zone. And that, I, you're right, that does make, put Eric Sposter in this top echelon tier one of coaches with him popping Steve Kerr. And it's kind of crazy to see because Bam Adebayo is all. I, I feel like he's always the key to this Miami team because sometimes it's just depending on how aggressive he is and how he's playing. And I don't. I think he's attacked Al Horford very well in this in this series. I don't know why Joe yeah. Mazzulla has Al Horford on um, Bam Adebayo. Anyway, he's definitely gonna take advantage of that. Just being. Just being the type of player he is, where he's not just looking to score, he's moved, he, you know he's using the athleticism to make plays for his other, for his teammates. Duncan Robinson has been playing well for them. Caleb Martin, shout out to him, has been great for them in this round. The Gabe Vincent has knocked down some big threes, but I want to talk about Jimmy Butler real quick. Who I had a thought about him on Twitter. I'm now I want to read the whole tweets again because it's a bit much, but it basically was it's. Just looking at Jimmy Butler as a whole, and wouldn't everybody wants to compare him to his peers? I've seen, you know, he should be the face of the NBA. They love his, you know, they love how he gets up for these competitive matches. People get in his face; he don't back down. Um, he's been every playoffs he gets called a top ten player. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I feel like it's so hard to rank a player like Jimmy Butler, who you said it many times. He doesn't necessarily he he's based on record saying it. He doesn't take the regular season. It's serious as he take the playoff, to put it politely or mildly, I should say. And when you hear that, and when you see that on the court, you see how he's been playing the playoffs. He made second team. He made third team All NBA, despite only playing sixty four sixty four games. Wasn't an All Star either. But he's this all time playoff performer, and we've seen that especially in Miami in his time. How hard for is it hard for you to write Jimmy Butler compared to his contemporaries at his position because? But despite how, you know, Jason Tatum is playing these first two playoff games, he's a regular season performer and he's been good in the playoffs as well. Even the Kevin Durant, who 
great play, especially even you know, especially pre-injury, who was a high ceiling regular season player and also was a high ceiling playoff performer. How hard is it for you to compare Jimmy Butler to his, you know, just like just like that? Not even to them players, but just any player that's position. Like to your point, I feel like if we ask people to give us their top ten, not even today, at the end of the season, beginning of the season, and end of the season, and as you said. Jimmy Butler, he was second team All NBA this year, so that's taken before the playoffs starts. They the votes are in before the playoffs. But if, if you ask anybody, beginning of the season, middle of the season, end of the season, who are the top ten players? I'm willing to say 98. percent I'm 98 percent sure. Only a handful. Like we could just even ask the the homies. Shout out to the off the ball homies. OTBN. <laughs> if we would ask all of us to do a list outside of Kevin Mo, I honestly don't think nobody would have had Jimmy as a top ten player. Maybe because we elite basketball minds, but when you just start thinking about names of these players and things you could do, it's a realistic chance he can get left off the list. And then you got young ascending players who are putting up these stats and it's like would you potentially have them ahead of him? I'm say I think he safely probably makes a top fifteen, but I feel like that may even be a stretch. And I hope I don't sound disrespectful. I'm just if you ask somebody to name their top ten players, like they're gonna go KD, they're gonna go LeBron still. KD, LeBron, Giannis, um, Jokic. They're gonna go uh, Jason Tatum, Luca, Joel, Jokic. Uh, so they're gonna get into all these to these names. And it's going to be tough. And Jimmy probably should be amongst those, that top 10. But since it feel like you don't see, like he didn't even make the All-Star game this year. So since it doesn't feel like you may see that consistency during the regular season, he didn't make the All-Star game. They lost in the play-in, so that dropped their position. But they finished the season in seventh place when they were supposed to be a top four team. I think people were going to overlook what he, he does. But in the playoffs, when the game gets a little bit more physical, it gets a little bit more slower. Unless a team, you know, you have these high octane offensive games, but even like this Denver Laker game uh, the other day, what was the final score in that game? Um, Denver versus Lakers the other night. The, uh, it finished one hundred eight, one hundred three. Like let's play our basketball. Yeah, like you know, during the regular season, you used to some one twenty games. Like, we were going through the third quarter, and they were just now getting to 80 points. The team would have 80 at halftime or whatever. So, when the game gets slower, those in-between-the-line, inside-the-three-point-line possessions matter more. You know, Jimmy, you, you see the eliteness of what he does. Um, when you're the game planning for you every game, where it's like, all right, we can't catch you slipping, and you got to do what you got to do. Like, look at these shots Jimmy making. He's a tough shot maker. That's I know what you're going to do, and I'm still going to make the shot. That's what that is. Like, them shots he made again on Grant Williams last night, them and ones. Like, Grant's in his face. Honestly, it's like, what else am I supposed to do? He He's making the shots. So, I think realistically, you probably would have to say Jimmy is a top 10 player. Um but, like, even when you start mentioning people, do you count injuries like Kawhi, Paul George? How do people feel about Kyrie Irving? Shay now he's first-team All-NBA, so it, it gets tough. But I think 
if he if they complete the mission and win the championship, I think he will definitely undisputedly be when they do the rankings next year, they'll be top ten. But if they don't win the championship, I won't be surprised if when the preseason rankings come out, he isn't anybody's top ten. But skill wise, game wise, productivity wise, what he's gonna give you on the court, you probably have to say that Jimmy Butler is a top ten player and he gets paid to be a top ten player. I'm not on the underdog thing with him. He's his team's highest paid player. He's their go-to player. I think overall he may just be a top 10 player. But it is hard to, you know, figure out. No, I'm sure. He's 22, just Jamal Murray. He's 22. Jimmy's 22 a game during the regular season. He averaged 31. Last year he was uh, 21 a game regular season. Playoffs, 27. So, you know. This time right. that he says and he wants to, like Murray, he, he wants to shine. Right, and I guess the, and the other thought with that is you see so many players who reputation kind of gets taken down for being great regular season performers, but maybe subpar playoff, playoff performers. Do you, like say, with Jimmy Butler making second team All-NBA this year, does he feel like... James his, Harden and Jimmy Butler swap positions when the playoffs go. <laughs> Do you feel like that Jimmy Butler maybe gets the benefit of the doubt for being a great playoff performer, even though he might be just – and I don't want to just call it above average because I feel like that's not – like just a good regular season performer. So he gets more benefit of the doubt because of how he plays in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, it's, it's just clear in the playoffs he's going to have the bigger performance. It's just a sense of urgency, the 40-point game against the Lakers – in the finals when his team need a win. 50 this year, almost 60 against the Bucks when your team need a win. Um, it's, it's just the, the moments. Um, they they shine bigger in the playoffs because he's amongst the crew that don't, that doesn't, at least he's put out there. And maybe he don't really feel like that, but he's put out there that he don't feel like those moments matter more. And like when the last time Jimmy scored 50 during the regular season? Like, even, I'm sure he's had some 40 point games but I don't feel like we looking up every night like oh yeah Jimmy or even every couple nights and like oh Jimmy had 40 no, I feel like he'll have a handful of games in the regular season so whereas in the playoffs it's like almost at every game type of thing at least every other game like he's already had 56 and 40 multiple times in the playoffs you know that don't really it's not like that during the regular season and looking at Boston, uh, the flip of the Lakers going down 0-2, but going down 0-2 on the road in game three, it's going to be important for them to establish whatever it is they want to establish offensively and defensively. But what is that you want to see from Boston that will help them pick up a win in this game three? Good thing about for Boston is they're going to Miami, so they don't have to worry about the crowd being crazy to start the game and making them feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. um, Boston... I, we were talking about this earlier, and I said on air also. For Boston, like the play, the players, they're they're not young players no more. They're still young, but they're not young players no more, and they have a lot of playoff experience. Jalen Brown's been in seven game sevens. I think Jason, which means Jason Tatum, he's probably been in like one or two less. He's only or whatever. Boston, they were in the finals last year. They still kind of play immature at times. The inconsistency, uh, the settling. Like, it makes sense to me when you said Spolstra played uh, a zone in the second and then the fourth because those are two quarters that a lot of teams use. Like, you want to win the beginning of the first. 
you want to win the end of the second. You want to win the beginning of the third. And even the end of the third to get momentum going into the fourth. And you just want to win the whole fourth. But I can see in the second and in the fourth, this is like, all right, we want them to settle for jump shots. So we're going to play a zone where it makes the paint look packed. And then Jason Tatum just going to shoot sidestep threes all day. And we saw it. I, I, I mentioned it against Philly how, especially in that close game, Jason Tatum breaks Steph Curry's record for game, for game seven points. He got open and got hot and got into the game by going to the basket because his jump shot wasn't falling before that. Um, it, it just wasn't going. He had that big fourth quarter, but before uh, the game before, uh, 16 in the fourth, but he had three points the whole game before that. He, Jason Tatum has these big games where he gets to the basket, but he is more consistent that he just falls in love with a jump shot and it gets inconsistent. You got to have the maturity to know they, they want us to shoot these jump shots. Like I said about Jokic earlier, everybody was saying how the Lakers was going, you put Anthony Davis as a roamer to try to eliminate Jokic's passes because Anthony Davis isn't necessarily coming from the double, but to try to force him to score. And Jokic is still like, no, I'm still going to pass the ball because I know you want me to just score. So I'm taking you off the hook by deciding not to pass. And Jason Tatum consistently takes players off, teams off the hook by just shooting jump shots. And Jalen Brown will do that also. He'll get, especially when they're not falling, it's like you just want to get one to go. Um, and Jalen Brown, he had a tough game the first game overall too. So you want to see him coming to this next game sharp, efficient, getting to the bucket, getting to the free throw line, making meaningful moves. Um, you just need him to play better overall. And you can't give up a lead in the fourth quarter, no matter how bad or inconsistent you're playing. No, for sure. Especially not this Miami team, because they smell blood in the fourth, they're going to take it. That simple. No, for sure. And looking at Joe Mazzula, who's also a first-year head coach at this position, yep. just like Darvin Ham, like I say, you never know what adjustment coaches are making unless they're visible, clear visible adjustments. But what is it that you want to see Joe Mazzula do to help this team get out to maybe to get out of fast start and hold on to that. Dang, it sounds like the first year. Coach is struggling against the vets. That's what it sounds like you just said, basically. But uh, he got to keep putting his teams in better positions. Like, Marcus Smart does a good job of when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are settling. He do a good job of not passing them the ball and keeping it himself. And you kind of need Joe to do that. Not not pass them the ball, but like force them into positions to get easier shots, to not go ISO, to not settle for Jalen Brown to be more precise and efficient with what he's doing, sharp with his moves. Joe has to continue to do that. Um, Cause that's what you know. It's the end of the season. There's no more scouting you could do. You're not about to figure nothing out. You know the scout reporter of the 13th man that has no chance to get in the game at this point. So it's all about finding as easy shots as you can and executing overall. And executing is going to come from your coach putting you in position um, on both sides. I think you need to make a move. Horford works better against Embiid because Embiid isn't as agile and athletic as Bam. And this just kind of proves that Embiid plays closer to the basket than people think. And Bam is on the perimeter a lot more than Embiid is. I think Robert Williams works better against Bam. I saw somebody else said that on NBA Twitter. I don't remember who it was. So 
my bad, but whatever. Um, I, I I felt like that anyway. But I feel like you gotta play you gotta play Time Lord more uh, against Bam. And I don't know, you know, Horford's matchup should be like Kevin Love. Um, it's Kevin Kevin Love starting, right? Yeah, he started yeah. the last. Yeah, but you gotta give him Kevin Love and stuff like that. I wouldn't, I not that I wouldn't put him on Bam, but I would lean more on Time Lord against Bam. No, I would definitely switch with that and go with Robert Williams more on Bam. I know you will, they prefer Robert Williams to be a roamer so he can help protect the rim. Yep. But I think I don't know. I just think that would be the bet. That would be the better matchup for Bam, who is more agile player than like say Dana and B. Al Horace, I guard and B, and done. <laughs> and I want to say shout out to Kevin Love, who when he first got to Miami, I know a lot of people were saying he was washed and he looked like he was done, but. That just goes to show sometimes players got to get into the floor when they get into a new team. And, you know, he just he fits what this team needs perfectly. He's another rebounder. He's another shooter. He's a good passer. So he's another connector on the offense and whatnot. And I also want to say real quick, I'm glad you changed it uh, when I said that Anthony Davis LeBron was playing bad to say they played incomplete, which probably is the better way to say it because I have been saying that to where if a player is having a bad shooting night, regardless of what else he does, Oh yeah, they right. they did. It's automatically like, oh, he had a bad game. Was well, like Anthony Davis still had four blocks and fourteen rebounds. Like I don't want to say he just had a bad game. So you're right, they did have incomplete games. But um, other than that, you got anything else? Other than that, no. Nah, just I want to shout out J Cole because I watched this video that the Miami Heat posted of how he helped Caleb Martin basically get a workout for them, and it was actually like pretty random and pretty cool <laughs> to see. Uh, so shout out to J Cole. Uh, other than that, just as always, appreciate the listeners, uh, appreciate any supporters, everybody that checks out the pod. Um, you can find us anywhere podcasts are available. Just search the Hoopers Pod. Do your Googles. Go to Google, Google the Hoopers Pod. You might see some old SoundCloud Hoopers Pod. You do your Googles, but go ahead and do that. The new stuff is pulling up also. Apple and Spotify, them things, you know, we on there. Uh, go to YouTube, subscribe to the Hoopers Pod, like some like some stuff, comment on some stuff, dislike some stuff. I don't care. Just go watch it. Um, uh, what else we got? I think that's it overall. Just, you know. Appreciate everybody that support the pod. I ain't gonna tell everybody to go listen. I just I'm just gonna say appreciate the people that do listen. Uh, especially the ones that listen consistently. Uh shout out to the Off the Ball Network and all the cool people over there. Um That's all I got. All right. And with that being said, I'm John W. Fresh X. And we are the Hoopers.